Hi, I'm Aaron Schatz. I'm the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders, and I would like to welcome you to the Football Outsiders live stream for January 27th, 2022. Uh, welcome to our NFL Conference Championship Round Preview. Uh, I am joined by Mike Tanier and our resident Bengals fan, Robert Weintraub, is here to celebrate the Bengals being in the AFC Championship game. Uh, we're also supposed to be joined by Vince, who will hopefully be coming along shortly to talk conference championships with us. Before we talk conference championships, we might as well hit on the uh, news of the morning. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if either of you have any opinion about either Nathaniel Hackett becoming the new head coach of the Denver Broncos or Matt Eberflus becoming the new head coach of the Chicago Bears. I'll start with Eberflus. It seems like the polls Eberflus combination, that, that seems fine. That's good, solid. I like the hires. Yeah. I'm curious what's going on with the Colts at this point. They lose Eberflus this offseason. They lost Sirianni last offseason. How is that Frank Reich staff going to survive this brain drain yeah, you know, when you're when you're not a Super Bowl champion, losing your top coordinators. When you're like a borderline wildcard team, losing your champions, uh, your, your your coordinators. That's a concern for a team that's trying to take the next level. That's that's the interesting element of the Eberflus hire to me. Yeah, does that count as a uh, Josh McDaniels coaching tree hire? Eberflus. I mean, you know, you yeah, I guess that. technically it does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's going to be so much fun just to say his name, really. Eber, both of them, Eberflus. Ooh, that's a good one. And Nathaniel yeah. Hackett, Revolutionary War General Nathaniel Hackett. Yes. <laughs> uh, he was, uh, you know, Syracuse OC under Marone, and there was a lot of people who wanted him to get the job there, the head coaching job, uh, yeah. you know, take over. But obviously he went to the NFL instead. I mean, I, I know everybody's talking about the idea that he's going to immediately just summon the uh, Rodgers and Devontae Adams, or at least Rodgers anyway, <laughs> combo to Denver, send up the smoke signals, and there they come. Uh, but you know, who knows if that's really true. We'll see. Rogers has so many things in his, uh, on his plate, so many misdirections, misinformations, and then various other, uh, you know, kind of prestidigitations, if, I, if you will. So I don't, uh, I don't want to delve into that, but you know, he seems like a solid hire. I just, I did not want Denver to go the Dan Quinn route to, you know, replace Fangio right. with Dan Quinn seemed like a lateral move at best. So at least, you know, somebody got in their ear and said, no, it's, this is the way to go. Let's go offense and see if we can match the other uh, uh, potent offenses in the AFC West. So it seems like a good hire, at least. And it's another uh, another coaching uh, – oh, is that my phone? Sorry about that. Oh, another oh. coaching son that gets a gig, right? Hang on. Rob's got another yeah. podcast to be on. I see how it goes. <laughs> exactly. Wait, wait, Dan Quinn is picking the – you're actually taking it on air? Come on, do it. Do yeah, it. I was going to if it was important, but no, it's not. Okay. Uh, Dan Quinn is taking the Dan Quinn route back to Dallas, it sounds like, by the way. Yes, he is. And uh, I think he has more chance of getting fired next year as DC of Dallas than he does getting a head coach. Yeah, I was going to say it's interesting because of what we know about defense being inconsistent from year to year. This would have been the year for Dan Quinn to strike and get a head job. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, look, both of these guys seem like they've got good coordinator backgrounds and we have absolutely no idea how much talent they have at the sort of CEO aspects of being head coaches. Right. We have no clue. No clue. There's nothing in their pasts that would give us any clue. Um, so, you know, in that way, they seem like fine hires. Um, my big question is who comes to Chicago as the offensive coordinator, right. because there had been so much talk about get a offensive-minded head coach to work with Justin Fields. So now you have Eberflus. So now it's who's the offensive coordinator who will work with Justin Fields. And I don't remember who said this on Twitter, so I apologize. But somebody pointed out that often defensive-oriented head coaches hire conservative offensive coordinators. Yes. yes who want to play conservative offense in order to, like, win with running and defense. Right. Please do not do that, Chicago. <laughs> like, please, please, please do not saddle Justin Fields with a really conservative offensive coordinator who's not going to help him blossom. Right. And I'm so, guessing because Eberflus was a McDaniels guy and then became a right guy that he kind of understands the more open, uh, you know, uh, Offensive systems, you know, more pass oriented, a little more forward thinking. That's just an assumption based on, you know, where he came from, though. 
But I mean, I don't know. Uh, I thought Brian Dable was an excellent candidate in Chicago. Now that he's not getting the job, I don't know who was quarterbacks coach under Dable in Buffalo, but that would seem to me to be a good candidate to be offensive coordinator in Chicago. I still feel like you want to try to do with Justin Fields what Buffalo has done with Josh Allen. That quarterbacks coach is either going to go with Dable or replace Dable if Dable leaves. Though. Well, that's yeah. probably true. Right. He's being talked about as a replacement. Yeah. Right. It's Ken Dorsey, the old uh, Dorsey. Miami quarterback. Oh, that's the quarterbacks Miami. coach in Buffalo. Huh? Yeah. yeah. And there are a lot of rumors that. A, that he is at least partially, if not a lot more than that, responsible for the development of Josh Allen, and that Dable will definitely be taking him with him, assuming he gets the coaching. Either game. that or he'll replace Dable. Yeah. Right. One or the other. It depends on his uh, aspirations, I suppose, or where he wants to live. New York City, a little bit better than Buffalo, perhaps, or the Meadowlands, I guess, if he goes to the Giants. That's the, uh, the right. hot rumor, but we'll see if that, if that comes it's true. Weird. It's weird that hasn't happened yet, which makes me wonder if it's going to happen. Like, yeah, why just roll the machine, you know? Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree, although that, that's the case in so many cities that maybe it's just that's the way it is this year. And it's not like we shouldn't be reading too many tea leaves because everybody's doing so much due, due diligence. And there's so many candidates, whether they're really good candidates or not. Uh, you would have mm -hmm. thought Dable would have been hired by now for sure, though. And uh, Wink Martindale, a lot of rumors that will come in as defensive coordinator if he gets hired in New York. So that would be interesting. We'll see. I was surprised he was fired by Baltimore for sure. Right. Still seven openings. Joey Sucks says, guys, do you think that there might be some organizational problems with Jacksonville? I mean, I think Jacksonville, yeah. I don't know what the attraction of Trent Balke is to the, to Shahid Khan, but clearly what, has been rumored is that Shahid Khan basically has to make a decision. Either he's got Balky as his GM and needs to find another coach, mm -hmm. or he can have the Leftwich and Adrian Wilson combination. Yeah. I that's, think his, that's what's going around right now. Yeah. I, I mean, just given Trent Balky's history, I think what he does best is kind of suck up to ownership, right? I mean, that's what <laughs> Shad Khan sees in him is a guy who sort of do what he says and we can feel good about being. Shad Khan, which I'm sure he feels pretty good about anyway on a day-to-day -day basis. But uh, I was going to say, I don't think Shad Khan needs a GM to puff up his ego. To to I think, I think he so. needs a GM to win some football games. Right. Yeah. You think his that was his ego, right? But his ego should be fine. He owns like 50 million different things. We love you, Shad. Make a better decision, please. Yes. Money can't buy you love. Don't you know that? Um, so, I mean, I look, I would love to see them. I would love to see them go with the Wilson Leftwich combination. I think that yeah, that okay. would be exciting. It's got, you know, it's a great storyline. Leftwich goes back to Jacksonville to resuscitate the team. Um, I don't think there's any indication that Byron Leftwich is some kind of quarterback guru. I mean, he ran a good offense for Tom Brady for the last couple of years. Like that is not, that is not a sign that he can develop Trevor Lawrence, but you know, he's, pretty well acclaimed as a head coach and motivator of men. And that seems to all be very positive. So. Arians always gives him a ringing endorsement. He's been tutoring under Arians for a few years. So you will be hoping to get that Arians type system. If you bring just in having, yeah, that skill, uh, Trevor Lawrence, meaning uh, certainly is a good start in the right direction for him. I think it's interesting. Well, that Adrian Wilson has this right. Definitely no risk it, no biscuit, right? I mean, he's right. going to launch it down field. That offense would be great. So yeah, it is neat to see Adrian Wilson rise up in the, in this level here. Yeah. So quickly. I thought he was still playing safety for the Cardinals. I was, you know, <laughs> seems like, right. I, he was on the cover of the, the, uh, F Almanac, I believe at some point. Yes. Was, once upon a time we did. Yeah. Adrian Wilson was one of our cover photos back when we had actual cover photos of actual. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, Jay Molnar 94 says he also failed miserably in Arizona. Is that about frozen, uh, era? Leftwich? Yeah, that's about Left with the offensive coordinator in Arizona for Josh Rosen. You know. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't necessarily the, the best indicator of somebody's ability. No. Yeah. <laughs> but it was not, it's also not a point in the case. It's also not a point in the column of uh, developer of young quarterback. Right, right, right. But so, yeah. there are lost causes. The chances with Lawrence over Josh Rosen, although you know, yeah. <laughs> Jew, I am certainly uh, always behind Josh 1,000%. He was yeah, recently the backup in Atlanta. Fully behind you, Josh Rosen, Atlanta backup. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about some conference championships. We'll start with Cincinnati at Kansas City. Chiefs minus seven is the line. 
But of course, this is not a guaranteed win for the Chiefs, of course, we know, because the Bengals have beaten them already just a couple of weeks ago. Although I will point out, the Bengals only had a 22% post-game win expectancy, according to DVOA, in that game, despite winning. They got a lot of good timing and a lot of penalties. Kansas City had a ton of penalties, 10 for 83 yards in that game. Uh, the Bengals were just 17th in regular season DVOA. If they win the Super Bowl, they will become the lowest team to ever win a Super Bowl. Uh, thanks in part to that Week 18 game where they sat their starters, which knocked them below the 2007 Giants. <laughs> they only beat one team in the regular season and postseason with a DVOA rank higher than 16th, and that team was the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. Give me your first thoughts, Rob. Well, uh, boy, you know, first I'm still uh, in the afterglow of beating Tennessee, which I think most people didn't think that the Bengals could do, even though I came on the show and said we had the better quarterback. Uh, all I heard about was King Henry's coming back and, you know, let us, uh, what is it? Let us sit on the ground and tell sad stories about the death of Kings and Richard II. <laughs> so much for King Henry. He didn't realize that DJ Reader was going to be all over him all day. And, uh, yeah. you know, all I heard about was that Larry Joby's not playing. Okay, good player, but DJ Reader is the all-pro. And level. the power of the bye week. You heard me talk about week. the power of the bye week. And if something right. did not seem very powerful, it was no. the power of the bye week. It did not seem very powerful at all. Not when you throw an interception on the very first play of the game, that's for sure. No. Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, Tannehill did not have his best day. Mike Vrabel maybe yeah. didn't have uh, – Mike Vrabel didn't have a great day as a head coach. As a defensive coordinator, he had an outstanding day. He, that was probably the best game plan against Cincinnati all season. Uh, they really – not just, obviously, the front line uh, getting all kinds of pressure on Joe Burrow, but their their coverages were – you know, a myriad of different things that Burrow had not seen or was not expecting, and they changed it up a lot. And a lot of those sacks came from him having to pump and hold the ball a little bit longer than he wanted to and uh, took a hit as a result. But, you know, the old Buddhist proverb, get knocked down nine times, get up ten. Uh, <laughs> and so he did that. And when he had an inch of daylight to make a game-winning play at the end, he did to Jamar Chase. They kicked the field goal and win. And here we are in the championship game against Kansas City and then like you said, it was January 2nd. It seems like yesterday when they played the Chiefs uh, to win the division the first time. And, uh, you know, I think that did fall under. It's weird because in the moment, it didn't feel like a fortunate win exactly. It felt like, wow, Cincinnati just matched, you know, kind of shotgun for shotgun with the best offensive team in football and the, and the best quarterback in, you know, over the last couple of years anyway. Uh, I went back and rewatched it. And yeah, there were some issues in the game that Cincinnati. You know, you don't want to say they got lucky when when you get penalties called. You know, a lot of them were forced by the Bengals. Uh, there was definitely a key one right before halftime when they uh, Kansas City actually turned the kickoff for a touchdown and got called back uh, yeah. by a holding penalty. That was, you know, come see, come saw. That might have been a bit lucky. Uh, the ones at the end of the game that everybody remembers when they were draining the clock, which is what Buffalo obviously didn't quite do uh, last week against us. Uh, you know, that was – blatant holds in the end zone. I mean, that's why you go for it on fourth down, right? One of the possibilities yeah. is you get a penalty call and gives you a fresh set of downs, and it worked out for Cincinnati. I'm not assuming that it'll work out again. Uh, you know, certainly my initial instinct of the game is, boy, it's going to be tough to beat them for a second time within a month. Uh, it's always tough to beat Mahomes in the playoffs, as we know, as we just saw last week <laughs> and have seen repeatedly over the past uh, several seasons. And they're a great team, but, you know, I, I sort of feel like the way they played and beat Tennessee, while not probably not the way that it'll have any reflection on the game against Kansas City, is such a good sign in that they know they can win in a variety of ways and they're not going to get down if and when they fall behind or, or you know, some of their offensive plans don't work out the way they didn't against Tennessee. And here they are, you know, in this postseason so far, I think it's the Bengals have had 22 drives. And three touchdowns, and yet here they are in the championship game. Just uh, and Kansas City has twenty-three drives and eleven touchdowns. I think it is. So all they have to do is find a way to narrow that gap just a little bit. Stay in the game. They they've proven they can beat the Chiefs. They're not afraid of them. You know they have a shot. They're seven-point underdogs for a reason. But I don't feel like it's an automatic you know overmatch uh, the way I kind of did 
the first time they played. I really didn't think they'd have a chance to beat them back on January 2nd. And yet they did, and they've surprised me all season. The reason they can't surprise me one more time. Joey Suggs points out, Rob, you're dropping Shakespeare and Buddhist proverbs to describe the game. You've been holding those Buddhist proverbs and Shakespeare references about the Bengals for how long? 30 years? 30 years, just about, pretty much, <laughs> you know? I mean, when you have them built up inside you, it's like a volcano. Just explodes You've been waiting. You've been waiting. Right. Oh, well, yeah, metaphor. Let me tell you. Freezing. I can go but, to you. Uh, just let me know. Also, here you get some, uh, <laughs> some Shinto proverbs, whatever you guys need. Uh, uh, they've all been stored up for decades now. I, I, I will say that I think it's unlikely that Jamar Chase takes over the game in the same way. Again, you, receivers just don't take over games like that more than once every five years. That was like a ridiculous game. And and just the way he did it too, where it's everything is a one-handed back of the end zone, tiptoeing the sidelines. Like Three guys all, missing a tackle on you. Yeah, yeah. He was unbelievably spectacular. Here's the one thing. A lot of that came because of Kansas City blitzing and leaving him one-on-one. -on -one. Now, right. there's been a lot of talk before the, you know, in the lead-up to the game or this week that there's no way they're going to do that and they're going to play like Tennessee did, which was, you know, try and avoid blitzes or the Raiders or any team would try and do because Burrow and Chase are so effective against the blitz. However, if I may bring out yet another proverb, this one just coming to me, uh, <laughs> the scorpion and the frog, right? Does the the true nature of Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator of Kansas City, is to blitz and blitz heavily, and you know bring guys from all angles and leave his corners one on one? Can he really resist that when the chips are down uh, and you know Chase is out there just licking his chops to be one on one, or is he going to go and play zone and try to double him up and bracket him? I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be an interesting test of his sort of coaching DNA to see what he wants to do and whether or not breaking tendency means more to him than winning with what got him to the point where he is now. I will say Scott got a stat from the SIS guys. The Chiefs blitzed the Bengals on 21% of Burroughs dropbacks in the first game, which is actually one of the lowest blitz rates for the Chiefs all year. So Spagnuolo was able to hold back a little bit the first time but not hold back all the way. He still and had to blitz situations. You know, one out yeah, of third and, Yeah, the third and 27 that ultimately really cost them the game, he came all out, you know, and yeah. what they do, they just threw one right up that like they've been doing every time. You know, all it takes is two or three key plays, and that's what it was. It was a bomb down the right sideline, and Chase just went over his man. I mean, I don't care. He was covered. It was good coverage. Chiefs did what they wanted to do. Bengals just beat it. You know, that's – could be a case where Kansas City says again, we're going to go with the same game plan and dare us, dare you to beat us again, uh, because it was so extraordinary. Or maybe they'll change up and blitz. I just don't seem like I, I don't feel like he'll blitz any less than 20 percent or 21 percent. Uh, in this game, it's just you know, it's just his nature is just what got him there. Now they've been coached, and uh, you know, it's too late to change your spots now. Yeah, by the way, I have some data about when the Bengals only face four pass rushers, three or four pass rushers. So yeah. when they're facing three or four pass rushers, Bengals lead the league. They've allowed 42 sacks. That's the worst total in the league, 42 sacks allowed. Sack percentage, 8.3% when only facing four rushers. That's tied with the Bears, holy cow, the Bears, for the worst <laughs> sack percentage in the league. Um, yeah. Now, their quarterback rating, and this is pretty much Barrow's quarterback rating, although there's a couple of the other guys in there. Uh, 104.2 for their rating. Now, we don't love rating. That's a very high rating against four rushers. Right. If we go to uh, EPA, the Bengals are all the way down at 9.25 EPA. That's 11th in the league. Not terrible, but it creates this weird thing. And I think you talked about it yesterday, Aaron, where you blitz, you rush them, and you get the sacks, and yet there's enough positive plays on the other end of it that it almost creates this sort of High volatility balance where the they Bengals are a very high volatility offense. Like right. you get these really big plays, all these really big downfield shots and yak plays, and then you get so many sacks and so many bad down and distance situations. So, right. I mean, uh, you saw it against Tennessee, they had 68 yards and sack losses on nine sacks. Right. 
but still 348 yards passing. I mean, it's not like they didn't, and they weren't even chucking too many of them deep. Or they didn't have that opportunity, but they but still, points. <laughs> yeah, you know, but, points. Yeah. some of those yards, to be fair, the passing yards were a bit of empty calories at the end of the first half when they just yeah. kind of got 50 or 60 yards, you know, of just last second plays that they didn't really uh, have any impact on the game. But the point is, you know, they're, they're quite used to playing, behind the chains, as they say, uh, it's, and you saw Burroughs Demeter didn't change one bit every time he got sex. Like, all right, second and 14, let's go ahead and make the first down anyway, or at least get a play that gets us in the position to get sacked again on third down. Um, so, you know, in terms of mentality, you know, a lot of what happened in Tennessee was communication issues. Like I say, Vrabel had a great game plan uh, up front with twists and stunts and bringing guys from, places where they weren't expected uh it's not like it was just like a straight up man-to-man whipping every time jeffrey simmons did have a couple of those but mostly it was about scheme so you like to think that you know some of that can be alleviated and if they only get five sacks and only a handful of situations where they're deep behind the change then they have a great chance to uh to get some of those explosive plays and alleviate whatever negativity they have again I'll also point out that a lot of pass rush means dump offs to running backs and the chiefs are 26th against running backs as receivers. Hmm. They actually give up a lot of running back screens. The Bengals use a lot of running back screens. I like this game. Joe Mixon receiving props. I like it. This game. Yeah. Do we have a number on that? Working on right now. For best bets for ESPN. I did Joe Mixon's combined rushing and receiving, Yeah, which was, I think 89.5. I don't know that they'll trust Smudge P. Ryan again after. Well, I just going to say they they threw a screen to Smudge P. Ryan resulted in their only turnover like the last six weeks against Tennessee, although we know he didn't really catch that ball. Uh, Great job by by Hooker to dive for it, but they left like a three three or four inch divot on the grass. I would have thought that was not a a clean catch. But anyway, I I digress. Uh, I did see a stat where Mahomes is by far first in the league in passing yards of his own when, you know, it's behind the line of scrimmage. In other words, his yes, he's number cool. one in passing yards behind the line of scrimmage this year, which is that whole, like, if you're going to play cover two against me all the time, I am taking a yeah, little, I you know, I'm I, taking what you give me. I didn't get a chance to look up, but is that a, a sort of an adaptation on his part? Where was he in that stat do we know in the last couple of years when he wasn't I don't know. I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, it'd be interesting to check out because there was a lot made of the way he sort of checked his game mid-year to, you know, adjust to not just cover two, but just, you know, not trying to play hero ball, quote-unquote, all the time and, you know, throwing the ball places where he has the open man and just take five-yard gains and move on, you know, and, uh, wasn't necessarily his his identity before that. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, that's just kind of like a national media thing, or is that actually something he did and and in terms of the passing yards behind the line of scrimmage. Flipping things around to the Chiefs offense, I will point out that they mostly used uh Chidobe Awuzier on Hill in the first game, and he only had two catches and 10 yards with Awuzier hmm. covering him. He had six for 40 overall. And they mostly defended Travis Kelsey with the cornerback, and Kelsey had a bad game. He uh, only had like 25 yards in the game, although he had just come off the COVID list, so he right. maybe he was a little bit healthier. affected in that game for sure. Uh, but mm-hmm. it was still a good job. It was Trey Flowers who they picked up from Seattle after the Seahawks cut him, and they kind of picked him up specifically to do things like that, which was a big body on tight ends where they've struggled so mightily over the years to guard tight ends with linebackers. And even safeties really are that you know the way they inline their uh, defense was not conducive to getting the safety they wanted on a tight end, and they were getting burned over and over again. And finally, they said, "Well, here's Trey Flowers. You can run like a corner, big body, uh, like a safety or a linebacker, and can tackle." And he's done a good job in doing that in specific matchups. You saw him uh, this past Saturday made a couple of big plays, both on defense and special teams. So you know he's a small little addition, but you know, a chess piece that works in certain matchups. And I think we'll definitely see that again. What now the chiefs will probably adjust to that as well. And they may do some things to work Kelsey open, but that definitely was a factor in the first game. Right. Do you have any interesting props, Mike? You want props? To Let's go. Prop, to the props me. Here. Prop me up. <laughs> Prop you up. Um, <laughs> I don't like this one. Chase Higgins and Boyd to each have 50 plus receiving yards at plus three thirty. All three. You mean, uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. All it's three unusual that all three get them. Uh, yeah. Long. Usually yeah. one of them is low. Yeah. Yeah. Scratch okay. it. Okay. This one's interesting. Mahomes and Burrow combined for 600 plus passing yards, hmm. plus 150. I don't think that's enough meat on the bone. What was the what was the odds? Plus what? Oh, Mahomes and Burrow combined 600 yeah. plus passing yards at just plus 150, though. I don't know. Our projection is like 300 for Mahomes and like 280 for Burrow. I yeah, I might I go with that. that. Okay. Mahomes was under that in the first game. I mean, you know, they, they and they. I think they're going to want to try and move the ball on the ground and do it in a different way than just get straight ahead like Tennessee did. They they had a good rushing attack in the first game and they were pretty balanced. I can see them wanting to do that again and. After what Mahomes did last week, you know, the whole world is going to be like, oh, he's just going to chuck it over the yard. That's a good time to kind of zig or zag, I guess. Uh, and, you know, try and run it a little bit more. I can see him. It's tough, though. But, you know, you can see him going under 300 as the game progresses, but then he makes one big play and there it is. He's up and, and same holds true for Burrow, too. So it's, it's it'll be close, but I, I can I can see that going under closely yeah, I, yeah i'm avoiding that one personally we like or bets travis kelsey or jamar mm. to have 125 plus receiving yards at plus 200 so you get chase or kelsey i think it's pretty much just chase but 125 plus at plus 200 so tricky because like it doesn't even feel like Chase has had big games the last couple of weeks, and yet he's been over 100 yards both times. It's, you know, he and finds he a way. had 675 million yards against them in week 17. And that too, exactly. Well, you know, but does that work against them? Are they then going to do everything they can? Just say, all right, we don't care who beats us. Tyler Boyd, Boyd have a day, you know, whatever. Joe Mixon, run wild. We don't care. Chase is not beating us. Uh, I can see them trying to do that. It doesn't necessarily mean it works. Uh, there's actually 20. It was just 100. 105. I would definitely take that over. 125 a lot, though, uh, in the playoff and, game, especially. And Kelsey, and I'm a big, I, you know. Yeah, I'm a big sucker yeah, for longest completion, longest completion bet. So I, this one appeals to me. Tyreek Hill, 50 plus yard touchdown reception at plus 450. Mm-hmm. I like spending the whole game looking for that bomb. And again, you mentioned they had a, he had a bad game. I, I don't see Chidi Awuzie. It's like, oh, there's no way you're going to shake him and get that 50-yard bomb. I like right. that just because of the, the action at plus 450. Yeah, and it wasn't like Awuzie in that game was just locking him down one-on-one every play, right. and then yeah. that was it. They just left him on the side of the field by himself with Hill. You know, it was a lot more yeah. subtle than that. And Awuzie actually had a pretty bad game uh, against Tennessee. I could see him definitely wanting to bounce back. It was one of his few bad games this season, but he was kind of slipping and sliding all over the place in that game. Uh, yeah, you know, and the thing about Hill is you can shut him down, you shut him down, you shut him down, he does nothing the whole game, and then like against Buffalo late in the game, where he just takes that, you know, kind of 15 yard hitch pattern across the field and turns on the Jets, and nobody's catching him. I don't care who you got on their defense, it's so uh scary to play against. So, mm-hmm. I, I would probably take that bet. What are the odds on that one again? Yeah, plus five, it was plus 500, it was. No, just plus four fifty. But 450, yeah, for, for for your for your ten dollar flyer to just sit yeah. there and just wait for a bomb. Yeah, I think that's a great fun. one. Yeah, I, I would, got I one more I gotta bring up because I'm the first quarter over and under guy. Is that the uh, Chiefs rank second, I believe, in first quarter offense? The uh, Bengals rank 29th in first quarter offense. We've seen repeatedly the, the the Bengals have a hard time getting going. It is uh, Chiefs minus two and a half in the first quarter. And I am probably going to take that, so I get a little action in early before I have to start writing about the game and taking notes. I can, I can uh, play, place a little wager and play a little bit. We should remember the All first right. game was fourteen to nothing, Kansas City, yeah. twenty-one-seven right. and twenty-eight fourteen. I mean, they were out early and they were, you know, yep. doing what they do best, you know, try and put you away. Uh, you know, the, the right turn in that game was Cincinnati actually coming back and making big plays of their own. But it would not be surprising, obviously, to see Kansas City jump out to an early lead. Uh, and just one other point I thought I saw that, uh, and I couldn't believe this was true, but Kansas city is the number one road team in DVOA this year, but 20, what was it? 20 or no 11th in terms of home DVOA. thought that was a little surprising. Bengals obviously is a road team, not a great split, but Zach Taylor 13 and seven now as a road underdog after last week. So, you know, factor that in Bengals have played pretty well on the road this year. Um, contrary to their history, 
and certainly their recent history. So, you know, they're, they've been an unflappable bunch. I think the game on Saturday definitely showed that. Uh, if nothing else, they're not going to be intimidated and get down by that 7 or 14 nothing to Kansas City and be like, ah, this one's over. Let's pack it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly a backdoor cover, if nothing else, is, is very much in play. So I, if we go with the line, Bengals plus seven, I think, is your pick. Would that be correct, Rob? I mean, come on. What am I going to do? We, we make the AFC Championship game for the first time since 1988. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and bet against Joseph Lee Burrow? I don't think so. Come on now. Of course I'm taking plus seven. I will admit I mean, I'm I'm on Chiefs minus seven if I had yeah. to take. I think minus seven is pretty close to what this line should be. But if I had to take a side, I I, I feel like the Chiefs – you know, they're, they're not inevitable the way people talked about them last year. I certainly mm-hmm. don't think like they're inevitable in the, in the Super Bowl against whoever wins the NFC. But um, I do feel like that they're better than the, the Bengals. And as, as long as they can avoid the penalties that caused them so many problems in the last game, I, I feel strong about the Chiefs. That's exactly it. The Chiefs team I've seen the last couple of weeks and the Bengals team I've seen the last couple of weeks, frankly, which is like grinding out these wins. I'm taking the Chiefs. Minus seven all the way. Their red zone offense has been poor. That needs to improve if they have any shot. Obviously, the first thing you always say about Kansas City, right? You play them, touchdowns, not field goals. You kick eight field goals in two weeks, not going to get the job done. So uh, if Cincinnati can actually punch a few in, keep it close, then the line uh, is is in their favor. But, you know, you take who you think is going to win, regardless of the spread, right? And uh, Kansas City is definitely favored for a reason, as you say. So I'm not taking it personally. But of course, I'm going to uh, I'm going to back my boys plus seven. All right, let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers at the L.A. Rams. Rams minus three and a half. Uh, although San Francisco has beaten the Rams six straight times, I and, heard that somewhere. <laughs> even the last game, which was close by DVOA, was not close. San Francisco had an 88 percent post game win expectancy in that uh-huh. game, even though it took overtime to decide the winner. Um, Flynn Haggerty asks, will Kyle Shanahan care that the Rams saw his team three weeks ago? And should he care? I can't imagine that that gives an advantage to any team over the other team because they both saw each other three weeks ago. Right, so right. they both saw each other. It's not like, oh, it's, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. get that. So, I mean, the big thing in this game is the idea, which I think is true. The Rams are built to beat a lot of teams, but not the 49ers. Like the way that the Rams want to play defense, they play with fewer men in the box than any other defense in the league. They want to defend against the big time pass play. And they're really good at defending against deep passes. And what does San Francisco want to do? They want to run and throw the ball in the short middle of the field. Right. And the Rams are the 29th, number 29 against passes in the short middle of the field. They allow an 83% catch rate on passes in the short middle of the field. And the 49ers are like the fourth best team and throws the most passes in that area of the field. And you saw that. I went back and rewatched the week's 18, I guess it was, game there. And it wasn't so much the short middle. They uh, did have some success there. But it's the small box running against that short box, et cetera. The 49ers, once they got their wits about them, which took them middle of the second quarter because they were terrible the first couple of series. Hello, Vince. Yeah, hey, is that a Hi, everyone. <laughs> I had it down for next week, so uh, <laughs> welcome, welcome to my world. But hey, we understand. Please continue. Well, you're here for time to talk about the 49ers and the Rams. Yes. So, yes, but just to finish my thought, the, the 49ers were able to stay so on schedule. So many of their conversions on third down were third and two, third and three regularly. And but the biggest problem for me, I'm going to probably talk about, is that the uh, Rams got the 17 points in that game and stopped. Like, they just stopped. And that's the other thing that I'm looking at in this game. Like, the Rams' ability, we saw it last week as well, to reach a certain point and just just wheels fall off everything they're doing is pretty remarkable. Um, and I think it starts with the fact that they don't run the ball very Rams do not run the ball very well at all. No, I don't know if bringing Cam Akers back was the wisest thing. He's kind of sucked as a runner. Like, he's had, the, <laughs> he's had the reception. Right. And, and you know, he was like deep for that one route where he couldn't catch the ball, but like, wasn't it impressive that he got so deep and everything? But as a running back, he's kind of sucked. Yeah. He's fun- and they he's were fun- doing so fun- well with Michelle. It, it made no yeah. sense to force him back into the lineup just because he could. 
uh, and he obviously wasn't the same back. It made it made little to no sense. Yeah. But Michelle was not very good in that 49ers game either. It was yeah. a, very much the old cloud of dust. Michelle. And you can't really use Michelle as a receiver. That's the no. other thing, right? That's the big difference with Acres is Acres as a receiver. <laughs> right. It was a lot of second and nine, second and eight when Michelle was getting the ball on first down, which is what we saw last week, whether it was Acres. Yeah, they're plowing Acres in Michelle. the same situation, I, you know, and the way their offensive line is built, you know, they should just avoid that entirely and maybe, maybe run an entirely different uh, set of a section of the playbook against the 49ers because what they've been doing in that sense does not work. And Akers, uh, a lot of Akers stats came on the trip play too, uh, receiving stats. Um, oh, right. Like, when Beckham threw to him. Mm-hmm. Right, so uh, I don't know how, how much that counts. Uh, as far as him being a quality receiver, um, he's been terrible in the, in, in the last two games. The uh, season or the wild card win against Arizona, nobody noticed because Arizona was worse. Um, and and last week, everyone talked about the fumbles, but he was also averaging about two yards of carry. So, right. um, yeah, it's not gone well with the Acres return. I'll also, point out ESPN had Stafford as the best quarterback against the Blitz this year. Hmm. And the two teams that they've played so far, Arizona and Tampa Bay, are very, very high blitz rate teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And San Francisco is not. Right. As we saw at the end of the game when Tampa blitzed heavy and we uh, <laughs> made to pay for it. No, I, I uh, checked his uh, man versus zone numbers. He's way, way better versus man covers than against zone. Um, against yes. man coverage. It was something like 18 to three touchdowns and interceptions. And against zone, it was even Steven, like I think a dozen of each. And uh, if you play zone, you just sit back and wait. He will have one of those brain farts we saw in the last four weeks of the year when he just falls down and lobs a pass to a linebacker. <laughs> Although, I mean, what he did in the two games against San Francisco was he lobbed the pass to a safety 40 yards downfield. Yeah, overthrow. Like he, had three, right. <laughs> he had three picks against the 49ers, and they were all like 45 yards downfield or something. There, there are many ways that Matthew Stafford can uh, embarrass himself. It's true. 42, 49, and 51. I wrote it down because, of course, San Francisco's big weakness is deep passes. Mm-hmm. And while San Francisco, while the, the Rams, San Francisco is really built to beat the Rams. The Rams offense is a little bit beat to beat to beat San Francisco in that San Francisco gives up deep passes and the Rams throw a lot of deep passes. Right. And but uh, in the first two games, they had 178 yards on six deep passes and three picks. But they were those were those like arm punts. Right. Um, I don't think we have Jim Steck Schultz. He wants to know if the Stafford man zone splits are broken down by targeted receiver. Uh, unless you can access it through the SIS data hub, Mike, I don't think we have a- access right now to right. what effect cup has on those numbers. I mean, the effect the cup has on those numbers is the effect the cup has on all the Rams numbers this year, which is he makes them all better. Like, right. I mean, I'm sure that no matter what the split is cup makes things better because he had such an amazing year this year. Right, It'd be too much parsing right now to try and go grab all of that and then interpret it. So, uh, I'm gonna pass <laughs> pass on going into SIS on that. I did check on Daryl Henderson's availability, and there's no word yet whether they might get a quicker running back for the for the Rams. We're talking about Adrian and Michelle playing well, but he's doesn't need to return. But I haven't gotten any practice notes or anything yet. And then have we gotten an update on uh, my old dear friend, Big Wit, Andrew Whitworth, and his uh, availability? Is he still sort of questionable? I think that they believe he will be back. They do think that, you know. The last time I saw Andrew Whitworth, they said that they expect him to play. Okay, good. I would expect Whitworth and Trent Williams, because Trent Williams has been healthy now, and I I expect Whitworth, I expect them to both play. I expected to practice this week. And remember, they're probably only practicing today and tomorrow. Which is good because no boom backup is now hurt. Oh, brother. So they need to have Whitworth back because otherwise I don't know who the backup to the backup is. So getting back to the Rams and receivers and interceptions, this is all throws, um, not just man versus zone. Okay. But Cooper Cup led the team with five intercepted targets. So once you get when – you, when you're starting with that, um, trying to split that down into even smaller splits, you tend tend to just get mostly just noise. But right, you're gonna you're gonna get the falling down backwards throw in the d- direction of Cup and things like that. Yeah, so, yeah. Cup had five, Higby had three, Beckham had three. 
Um, but again, when you split that into even smaller splits than the full season, you're not going to get any meaningful data, I don't think. One thing I noticed, that game, the Week 18 game, it turned on a third and one where the, uh, the, the Rams were up 17-0, I believe, driving. It's third and one. They go empty. And uh, Stafford gets sacked. Yeah. Stafford gets sacked. And, right. like, we don't want to talk about momentum, but, like, they became discombobulated after that. Obviously, it took a chance to be 20 or 24 nothing. Took it out of the, the game plan there. And in short yardage situations, third and short offense, Rams 25th in DVOA, mostly because of the running game. Third and short defense, 49ers third. So there's another example of a little – uh, marginal advantage that the 49ers probably have in those situations. They're they're staying on schedule. They're moving down the field. The Rams have to produce in chunk plays because they're not going to be able to negotiate these drives. Yeah. And Ari Garmstead has been a holy terror the last couple of games, and they're going to have to figure yes. out a plan for him for sure in the interior of that line. Yes. Right. I mean, we're talking ourselves here into a lot of reasons to believe in the 49ers. I yeah. will point out that the Rams' defense has been better in recent weeks. The Rams' special teams have been really good in recent weeks. Brandon mm -hmm. Powell, in particular, has yes. been really good. Um, their offense, which had declined in the second half of the year, then bounced back and played really well in the first two playoff games. So there's a lot to like about the Rams here. I mean, there's also, a lot of talent on that team. We know about all the talent on that team. Also, Jimmy Garoppolo. And also, Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> playing, and maybe playing with an injury. Yes, right. I mean, he is playing with an injury. Right. Maybe playing. Well, we all keep waiting for the Trey Lance package, and there's no there's no Trey Lance package. It's not no. happening. Trey Lance package no. is happening in 2022. Yes. I mean, I guess it's technically 2022 now, but next season. We're bringing up all this positive 49er stuff because the baseline is the 40 of the uh, Rams are better, more talented, and probably should win playing at home. I think we kind of drifted right into devil's advocate off the top there to say, right. you know, what are the 49ers' advantages here, and how can they pull another? road win and upset as uh, this would this be five wins they already had five win on the road against playoff teams this year i think i mean they've had extraordinary run kind of reminiscent of the 2007 giants a little bit just to throw that out there right. so you don't want to uh, automatically assume anything if you're a rams fan and how much will the home field you remember in that week 18 game it was supposedly at sofi stadium but it sure felt like it was being played in the house of jeans up there at levi stadium <laughs> and that uh, the niners had the big takeover they bum rushed that stadium and uh even the aforementioned andrew whitworth's wife was out there uh saying you know don't sell your tickets to niners fans i'll buy them up for you uh, <laughs> and she came back and said i've been drinking a little don't don't hold me to that but nevertheless <laughs> the point is it's definitely a uh, 49er home game field the last time and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was near that certainly to counterbalance any home field edge the Rams may or may not have in that stadium so you know you can definitely talk yourself into ways that the game's going to be close beyond the obvious that Shanahan owns, owns McVay and, and the matchup advantages that they have but the Rams are obviously extremely talented and are playing very well so uh, from my Ryan perspective. Ryan points out this would be the fourth yeah. road win in four weeks. Yeah four in a row. Which has Which not happened since the 1960s. Right. And they've been traveling all over creation and they traveled into inclement weather up in Green Bay and things like that. And, and there's no statistic uh, that can like really manage that along the way. But it does. Travel does matter. And traveling into icy weather and then coming into good weather and all those things do matter on the human bodies. And that is a drag on the 49ers. Yeah, the statistic is it just never happens. Right. I mean, right. <laughs> you don't play four road games in a row. Right. Yeah. Right. I heard. I heard this. I heard this stat earlier. I thought about those 07 Giants because they were a wild card team, and um, yeah. then I remember the Super Bowl is not a road game; it's a neutral site game. So they so that would disqualify them from this category. Um, right. And the, if you remember that particular Super Bowl, it was about eighty five percent Giants fans in the, in that stadium that night. So whatever that's yeah. worth. But, uh, yeah, the last uh, the Rams can. Played the next two games at home, theoretically. At so, home with all yes. of their fans. It's and never happened before that a team played a Super Bowl at home, and now it may happen two years in a row. Wow. And last year doesn't even really count, right? Because the fan, I, I don't remember the exact. They did have fans for the Super Bowl. But it's fans, but like, it wasn't 100, was it? No, no, it was like 25. percent But they're yeah, you're at home. Up. I think yeah. you you wake up in your own bed and drive to work and win a That's win a championship great. and go home at night. Yeah, nice as that, right? The way I choose to live my life. 
<laughs> so what do you guys think if the uh, coming down to the line of uh, well, first of all, Mike, do you have any interesting props on this game you want to share with us? Props, get props, props. Cooper Cup, 100 plus receiving yards and the Rams to score 33 plus at plus 400. That's, that's, that's oh, a I lot. I like it at plus 400. The Rams will score 33 plus too. That's the, that's the part that bugs me. Well, the plus 400 is what I like. I mean, yeah, I like that. The, the, the Rams, Cooper Cup had 118 and 122 in the first two games, and the 49ers ranked 31st against number one wide receivers. So I mm. like those Cooper Cup receiving props. Yeah. The 33 points is. is an issue for me. Right. How about this? OBJ and George Kittle to combine, OBJ and George Kittle, combine 150-plus receiving yards at plus 175. Hmm. That's... The Rams high. have been pretty good against Kittle. Kittle um, hasn't done a ton over the last few weeks either. He's been blocked. It feels like one, but, Yeah, I don't well, like one of these. One of those two teams will win, and the team that wins is a lot less likely to have, you know, throwing passes all over the place. So it seems like you're kind of betting your, against yourself one way or the other there. Yeah, I would hate to have the Beckham six catch for like 50-yard game that he sometimes now has. So he kind of does a possession thing now. And yeah. they're like, oh, Beckham played well, but I didn't get to this. And then, you know, Kittle winds up with, you know, 80 yards. Which another, both of them have really good games, and you don't win the bet. I don't like that. Yeah, um, yeah I don't I don't think this game's going to be a shootout. So yeah. um, question yeah, is, 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 there a, that one. is there a Beckham passing yards prop? <laughs> there might be. I'm not going to hunt it down. I like that idea. This one's fun. Fun one. Plus 800. Debo to have a rushing and receiving touchdown. Ooh, or more. Yeah, I was wondering if there was a Debo. Oh, that's fun. Plus 800. 800. I mean, yeah, I like that for plus 800. That's fun. Yeah. yeah, that's fun experiential betting. You put a couple bucks on it, and you're just rooting for Debo madness. And it, honestly, that seems that seems more likely to me than that. Beckham and Kittle will both have good games. I, I, I think, I, think yeah. I would take the evil one there. And and again, plus 800. So What we're doing is we're wishing the Trey Lance package into existence. We all take it. And then suddenly Trey Lance is a goal line a yeah, player against so we don't <laughs> win our bet. But that's kind of fun too, you know. <laughs> might be a good trade for like – They're holding the Trey Lance package for the Super Bowl apparently. That's right. clearly it. That exactly. must be <laughs> <laughs> you get the set with Debo if he catches a, a touchdown pass, they will do everything in their power to get him to run one too. You know, if they get down to the right. goal line, he already has a receiving touchdown in his back pocket. They'll hand the ball off to him too to get him both. That or, or we're wishing two passing touchdowns from Debo into existence by taking this bet because right. they are not yeah. featured in this. So yeah, I like a bet where if you lose, you lose creatively in a way that would be like, well, I have a story to tell about this. Yeah, mm. yeah. Ed beat <laughs> up here. I remember it for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think about Rams minus three and a half? Which team are you taking? That's fine. I would have loved two and a half. I'm taking Rams three and a half. We talked ourselves into the 49ers a little bit here. Reality yeah. sets in. They're not beating this team three times in a row, not winning a fourth straight game on the road, not beating them six, seven times in a row, except Seven times in a row. Yeah. The, 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 the 49ers are here because Green Bay special teams just completely blew a game that they should have won. And the Rams are here because they've been a better team than their opposition for most of the year. Um, if you look at what happened from week one to week, what is this, 20? Uh, the Rams were the better team more often than not. And I think they're home and they're better and they'll win. And I will go ahead and lay down three and a half. <laughs> I agree with all that. But in the spirit of 1988, we have to do the 49ers. We owe them. We've paid back everybody along the way. It's going to happen again. Cincinnati. And I was going to say, speaking of paid back, the 49ers will have gone through the Cowboys, the Packers, the Rams. Yeah. And then if they win this game, they either get the team they lost the Super Bowl to twice. Right. Or the, or the team they beat in the Super Bowl right. twice or the yeah. team they lost the Super Bowl to two years ago. Like it's a real nostalgia tour for the 49ers. And, you know, John, um, Madden, I am going. Sorry, I was just going to say, John Madden's first game, his first Super Bowl, I should say, 1981, Bengals-Niners, remains the highest-rated uh, Super Bowl, as they mentioned on the telecast last week, and it's, you know, 40 years after. Just saying, oh. the karma's out there, that's all. Which, 81 which is, away coming this summer, 81, 1981, we're going to do. Um, it's funny, nobody ever talks about that Super Bowl. They always talk about the catch the week before, or the game right. before. The ice bowl, the and, freezer bowl, and, yeah. And, the championship games definitely uh, undid it, but it, it was, you know, I mean, obviously it had the fourth down stop and uh, several other factors that were fairly memorable. It kind of petered to a halt. The Bengals looked like they were 
and a Brady-esque comeback tour down 20-0, and then it kind of got, you know, rerouted all of a sudden. And I can guarantee you if the Bengals and 49ers win on Sunday, we will be watching replay of that Super Bowl. We're talking a lot about it. I would be buried uh, in a position somewhere in the back closet of my house. But yeah. Kenny Anderson's porn stash. Scrap the whole wins in a row thing. Give me the team that held Dak under 20 and Rogers to 10 points. All right. I'm going to take 49ers plus three and a half. I really do feel that the 49ers are built to stop the Rams. I don't know if 49ers are built to stop the Rams means they can actually beat them three times. Right. But I think they keep this one close, and I like the three and a half points. I would go with 49ers plus three and a half. Yeah, I'm a big uh, believer in the uh, analytic term, the whammy. And, uh, you know, (laughs) it seems like Shanahan has the whammy over McVay for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, he, is that different from the wham block? It's much different, indeed. Yes, oftentimes you get wham blocked and then you wish no whammy, no, no whammies, no whammies. No whammies. No whammies. Uh, yes, the whammy is the little red, ah. little red demon guy who goes across the bottom of the screen. <laughs> exactly. All right, that does it for the, NFL the championship, championship games preview. Thank you, Vince. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Mike, for joining me for this show. Thank you, everybody watching. Uh, please remember to subscribe to the show and like the show. Um, oh, we got one question before I say goodbye. Uh, is there any interest in D'Amico Ryans as a head coach for the jobs that are open? Should be the Houston Texans front runner. Who knows? I agree with that. And- if Leftwich can go back to Jacksonville, D'Amico Ryans should be going sure. back to Houston. I mean, has he if done he a wants better to. or worse job than Robert Sala? You know, look at it that way. I mean, color <laughs> For Ryan's the go to Houston for a year or two, and nothing will get blamed on him in his next job. And in the meantime, they all love him there. They, like the, the the power structure does love him there. It's not a terrible option for him. Okay. Yeah. All right. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Subscribe to the show. Like the show. Tell your friends about the show. Tweet about the show. Tell everybody to watch the show. We will be back tomorrow. Well, first of all, today at 2.30, there's a splash play talking about uh, best ball and DFS for this game. these games. Tomorrow, Scott Spratt will be back at 1 p.m. to talk about fantasy for this weekend and DFS. And then I will be back on Monday with Ian O'Connor to wrap up the conference championship games and get us ready to start talking about the Super Bowl. Yeah. All right, folks. Are we allowed uh, to say Super Bowl? We don't have the rights to it. We, we don't only have to say the big name. Realistically, yes. No, because as media people, we can say we're covering the Super Bowl. Yeah. What the thing is, is that if we give away an award, award or a gift or something, then we have to call it the big game, the game. in the spirit of being advertisers. Yeah, but in the spirit of being media people who are covering the Super Bowl, we can call it the Super Bowl because that is what we are covering as media people. Mm-hmm. These very complicated rules. <laughs> All right. That, that was a great job by you. Splash Watch play Vancouver. at 2.30 Eastern. Okay. Scott Spratt tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern. Me and Ian O'Connor, Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern. Like the show. Subscribe to the show. Uh, I wish you all a great weekend. Uh, good luck to the Bengals for Rob. Good luck to the 49ers for Brian Knowles. Good luck to the Chiefs and Rams for all of you out there who are Chiefs and Rams fans. We don't happen to have any of them on staff. Good luck on the with the bomb cyclone, all of us on the I-95 corridor. Yeah, no kidding. We're going to be snowed in for these games. Yeah, all right. Rating. Take care. Have a good weekend, y'all. Bye-bye.